Hi everyone, this is Andrew Prima, Ukrainian-American, reporting from Kyiv. In today's podcast, this is a hundredth week of war in Ukraine, and this is the last week of January 2024. In today's podcast, we're going to talk about the Il-76 military plane that Ukraine shut down over the Belgorod region, and we're going to talk about what Kremlin, Kremlin's new rhetorics regarding the war in Ukraine. So, the last week, the Russian Il-76, which is a military freight plane, was filmed crashing on Wednesday in a huge ball of fire in a rural area of Russia near the border with Ukraine. Russian President Putin said on Friday that a Russian military plane that crashed near the border with Ukraine was shut down by Ukrainian air defenses, whether on purpose or by mistake. Moscow accused Kyiv of downing the plane in Russia on Wednesday and killing 74 people on board, including 65 captured Ukrainian prisoners of war to be swapped for Russian prisoners of war. But Russia refused to present any evidence. Ukraine, at the same time, has neither confirmed nor denied that it shut down the plane and has challenged Moscow's account of who was on board and what happened. I don't know if they did it on purpose or by mistake, but it was obviously that they did it. Putin said in televised comments right after the crash. In any case, what happened is a crime either through negligence or on purpose. But in any case, it's a crime, the dictator said. Ukraine disputes Russia's assertion that it was warned in advance that a plane was carrying Ukrainian prisoners of war would be flying over Russia's southwestern Belgorod region at that time. It has also said there were discrepancies in a list published by Russia's media of the 65 Ukrainian alleged to have been on the aircraft. Russia's investigative committee, the country's top investigative body, posted online a video it said shown Ukrainian soldiers preparing to board the Il-76 aircraft. The video has no sound and is accompanied by a single line of explanation that Ukrainian servicemen were boarding the military transport. It gave also no location and any other details. So, Ukrainians' commentators immediately cast doubt on this video. The Ukrainian military intelligence spokesperson Andriy Yusuf said on Thursday that contrary to practice before previous prisoners of war swaps, Kyiv had received no request from Russia to refrain from offensive actions. What in my opinion happened in Belgrade, where the Il-76 plane recently crashed, is following. Let's put it this way. The Russian authorities are actively trying to improve their logistics in the war zone. First, they are now building a railway along the coast of the Sea of Azov, 
without which they cannot properly supply their troops on the southern front. Secondly, recently there was an attempt to restart the airport in Krasnodar. They tried to do the same thing in Rostov on Don region. And I think the most important goal, of course, is to restore the operation of the Belgorod airport, which is very close to the Ukrainian border. Because Bol Belgorod, after all, is the main strategic logistical point for Russia on the entire northeastern front. And so, in order to establish an unimpeded air connection with Belgorod, the Russians decided to try, in general, a terrorist method of work. So you would ask, what is it about? In my opinion, they announced to the Ukrainian side something like that. We are transporting your prisoners here by airplanes, maybe along the border, maybe along the front line, or maybe to the front line cities, etc. That's why you don't shoot at these planes. At the same time, the Russians most likely didn't dare to specify where, when, in which planes the prisoners of war were transported. So, why did they do they? Why did they do that? Because their goal was to make Ukrainians afraid to shoot at any military transport aircraft flying near the front line, landing and taking off from frontline cities. In fact, this is a human shield tactic, a terrorist tactic when prisoners or hostages are placed on the same important objects so that the enemy doesn't shoot at these objects. Moreover, they do not say at which objects. Here somewhere in one of the warehouses, for example, on one of those planes or which one, they don't usually say. Were there prisoners on board this particular plane? Well, it's really hard to tell. I have not yet seen any evidence that there were prisoners there. It is likely that they were not there at all, but the Russian Federation, based on the logic that I have just outlined, was obliged to make a fuss and accuse Ukraine of shooting at its prisoners in any case, whether they were prisoners or not. Making noise with some task, with the main task. This is, this is the whole point for Russia. According to the Russia's plan, the next time the armed forces of Ukraine were to see five planes flying to Belgorod, two planes to Rostov, or five planes to Simferopol in Crimea, so Ukrainians won't shoot at those planes, fearing to hit their prisoners. Why Moscow needed? If planes could take off anywhere in the land in Belgorod, for example, it would allow Russia to transport missiles from North Korea. Now, it is not a secret for anyone that shells are imported from North Korea to Russia, so they would be delivered there to the front line, not by trains, which usually takes about two, three weeks, but by planes, which can be delivered literally in a day. That is, the logistical capabilities of Russia would become an order of magnitude better than they are now. The speed of supply, the speed of reaction to changes on the front line would be completely different. Plus, let's not forget, on the eve of Ukraine, on the eve 
of Ukraine receiving a super powerful platform like F-16s, the Russians, of course, need to somehow secure the air transport communications. So they choose such a method, the human shield method. Now, after all this history, Russia, in my opinion, will think about whether it should even try to use the airfield of Belgrade or other frontline cities. And the thing is, not that they feel sorry for the Ukrainian prisoners. Of course, it's not a pity. It's about the pilots and the planes themselves, because very cynical military arithmetic tells us the following. The price of one plane is tens of millions of dollars, plus the pilot, navigator, and the rest of the team. That's a few tens of millions of dollars and a several years of training, plus the invaluable experience of these people, their skills, etc. After all, a military pilot, pilot is probably the most valuable specialist in any country in the world. Besides, such military transport planes are no longer produced in Russia, and their supply is very limited. So Russian logistics will now be undermined after the closure of the Belgorod airport, indeed. I will remind you once again that I'm not a really military expert, but in my opinion, this can greatly help the Ukrainian troops who are currently defending in the Kupansk region, where the situation is very difficult. By the way, one more thought. When the plane was shut down, the first report was that the plane could carry S-300 missiles. But from the explosion on the video, it doesn't look like there were missiles there. There was a typical ignition of aviation kerosene blow-up. Regarding the fact that prisoners were being transported, somehow it doesn't fit in my head at all. You see, if the, the, that jet, Il-76, which has a total of 145 seats, is allocated for 65 Ukrainian prisoners, prisoners, it's minimal. So for every two of our prisoners, Russians need three guards. In general, all 192 prisoners who were announced for the exchange could be put on this plane and to carry limited groups in three planes. It's somehow illogical. It doesn't look like Russians with the conditions in which they keep our prisoners. Such humanity is not at all similar to Russians. Well, for now, we will wait for some definite news about the fall of Il-76, because Russia will be obliged to conduct at least some kind of investigation. Maybe it will even show something. But to be honest with you, the results of even their investigations are not to be trusted too much. Let's see. Because, of course, if there is no international investigation, then we will never believe in any versions that will be presented by Russians. So, what Putin wants in Ukraine and what are the latest rhetorics? Last week, Putin added a revealing new detail to Moscow's military propaganda. He considered it necessary to refute the peace plan by the president of Ukraine, Zelensky, which was discussed during the World Economic Forum in Davos in January 15th. 
earlier, the Kremlin noted that it is pointless to discuss a prospective peace in Ukraine without Russia. The presence of 83 states, China preferred not to participate, at the close meeting of the Zelensky formula forced Putin to state his obligations more forcefully. The Kremlin leader said that Russia will never give up its conquests in Ukraine. The official English translation of Putin's speech uses the softer word gains, although the original Russian word was actually invading those lands, literally means military trophies. Given the Kremlin's imperial learnings, Russia has few options in a long war against Ukraine and continuing to defend its territorial gains could further weaken Moscow's regional influence and global standing. At the international level, such statements can be very counterproductive for the Kremlin. Many countries of the global south would prefer to stay out of the European war and even profit from it, but they are most likely to disapprove of any territorial conquests. In recent months, China has not been very active in promoting its own peace plan, presented in February 2023, but has declared its support for Ukraine's territorial integrity. Putin's statement made more convincing and warning by the head of NATO military committee, Admiral Robert Bauer, that the alliance must be ready for full-scale war with Russia. Putin's mention of conquests was not accidental. The Russian dictator, as before, is attentive to his domestic audience. The Russian propaganda, the Russian population is gradually and steadily learning toward ending, leaning toward ending the war through peace negotiations, but reject any retreat or territorial concessions. Putin seeks to exploit these ambivalent feelings and turn the majority of Russians into willing accomplices in the crime of aggression, which, as Zelensky argued in Davos, pursues more significant goals than simply annexing five Ukrainian regions. The Kremlin leader suspects that for many of his loyal subjects, escalating problems caused by the degradation of critical infrastructure are more much more acute than the prospects of denafification of Ukraine. Thus, Putin seeks to shift the attention of the Russian public to tangible successes on the battlefield in Ukraine. Putin hopes that election in March will be a means of ending the need for broad public approval of the continuation of the war. Moscow's propaganda is not enough to ensure such results and relieve the population's concerns. The Kremlin is forced to quickly suppress any discontent, such as the recent protests in, in January in Bashkorstan, and continues to cultivate the illusion that Russia is on its way to victory. Putin places great emphasis on Russia's forces regarding the initiative on the battlefield, although a series of unsuccessful attacks in Avdivka and Ukrainian successes in the Black Sea and around the Dnipro cast doubt on this assessment. Kyiv 
may be struggling with a lack of firepower, but the North Korean artillery shells used by the Russians have neither the range nor the accuracy to match Ukraine's more sophisticated systems. Russian infantry battalions and Air Force squadrons are feeling increasingly demoralized due to heavy losses at the front. The most recent shocking air collision occurred on January 14th over the Sea of Azov when Ukrainians shut down a Russian A-50 jet and controlling aircraft Il-22M. And both of them, one of them was completely destroyed and Il-22 bomber was seriously damaged. Seeking to weaken Ukraine's air defense and long-range strike potential, the Russian airspace forces have targeted the logistical and industrial assets that support these capabilities rather than Ukraine's energy infrastructure. The results of this campaign are not impressive and Ukrainian drones penetrate further and further into Russian territory, reaching fuel depots in the neighboring Bryansk region and oil terminals all the way in St. Petersburg and Ustluz. The Russian economy continues to struggle, struggle with falling investments and rapid inflation. The direct damage caused by the Ukrainian strikes to the Russian economy may not be so significant. However, each blow exacerbates growing problems in Moscow's energy industry, exacerbates by severe underinvestment. Putin continues to brag about the strong performance of the Russian economy, but superficial growth, perhaps exaggerated, has been achieved almost exclusively by pouring huge amounts of money into the military-industrial complex. Many businesses suffer from extremely high interest rates, and the large amount of money is privileged state-owned corporations creates high inflation. The U.S.-backed plan to direct Moscow's frozen financial assets to the reconstruction of Ukraine caused particular anger on the part of Russian military patriotic commentators. The, he- the Kremlin has tried to counter the plan with warnings that global investor confidence would be undermined if it were implemented. The problem of Russian responsibility for the war against Ukraine and the loss Losses suffered by many Western companies exacerbates this problem, making it much more serious than a simply, simple legal complication. Putin indirectly positions himself as the only leader capable of protecting Russia from massive reparations demands that will undoubtedly cripple its economy and lead to misery of the middle class. This position is likely to protect the Russian president from possible palace copes, as members of the Russian elite dissatisfied by the protracted war are not satisfied with protracted war, believe that if they challenge Putin, it will only cause more damage to their interest. Neither Russia resource-oriented economy nor its corrupt bureaucratic regime was ready to large-scale war on long-term support for the military effort. And yet, none of the 
not none of the reshuffle, uh, reshuffles typical autocratic regimes in trouble have taken place. Every bureaucratic and country remains committed to carrying out Putin's order. This grim and often reluctant recognition of the lack of alternatives to participating in the militarization and deterioration of Russia is very different from the firm determination of Ukrainian society to defeat the Kremlin's aggression and establish the country's European future. Future discussions about expanding Western support are critical, not only to strengthening Ukrainian resistance, but also to loosening Putin's grip on the levers of governments that keep Russia locked in a cage of war. Thank you for listening. The Ukraine will win this war sooner or later. The Ukrainian soldiers and foreign Ukrainian and foreign soldiers are fighting bravely at the front lines. Thank you for listening. If you like my podcast, please share with your friends.